Have you ever wondered, how did religion begin? I mean, did somebody say, well, if God exists, we need to create an organized system around this. Today, we're going to be starting a new series where we start to deconstruct our faith. Now today, we're going to be deconstructing this thing called religion. Now before we begin, it's important to note that deconstructing is destructive and we're not tearing things apart for the sake of tearing things apart. See, for the next few weeks, we're going to be deconstructing for the sake of reconstructing. Maybe another way to see this is that we're not dissecting religion because dissecting implies death, but rather we're performing surgery. Nobody really knows how religion started, but one of the oldest belief systems is Hinduism, which outdates Christianity by about at least 7,000 years. One of their famous figures, Mahatma Gandhi, you probably heard of him, uh, he said this. He said, the various religions are like different roads converging on the same point. What difference does it make if we follow different routes, provided we all arrive at the same destination? He basically likens all religions like a mountain where all these religions are at the bottom and they're taking their own path to the peak. And this quote, it's quite famous because it unifies all religions. There's a problem with this illustration. And one of them is that most religious scholars, people who study world religions, they would disagree with Gandhi on this. You see, they argue that it's actually the opposite. William James, a famous philosopher and psychologist, he once said that religion, whatever it is, is a man's total reaction upon life. And that pretty much sums up what a religion is. See, the idea here is that the mountain is actually, it needs to be flipped upside down. We all begin from the same point at the very bottom down here. We all find that life is confusing and chaotic. So each belief system offers a way to react to that mystery. So if there is like a plague, a famine, injustice, natural disasters, whatever, to ease these fears, we all do what we can to control the chaos that's around us. And the key to controlling chaos and making sense of the mysteries around us, that's called religion. So before we move on, let's all make sure that we're all on the same page here. We all start from a place of control. We want to control the chaos that's around us. And the belief is that the one that can control this uncontrollable force is a divine power that oversees our crops, the weather, the water, fertility, war, fortune, whatever, you name it. And thus, religion is born. Oh, by the way, German-American philosopher and theologian Paul Tillich, he said that religion is the state of being ultimately concerned. Now, I love this definition because it implies that all human beings are religious because every human being has an ultimate concern, whether if it's fame, money, popularity, whatever. I mean, these are the things that give you a sense of meaning, gives you purpose, and you guessed it, control in this fearful, chaotic, mysterious world. Religion is our attempt at controlling the world that's around us. If we can get these divine beings that could control outcomes, we have less to be fearful of. So we worship our gods, we devote ourselves to them, we give them whatever they ask us to give, uh, we behave in a posture that these gods favor so that God can be on our side. So to think of like a modern day example, NFL wide receiver Stevie Johnson once dropped a pass in the end zone. Then later, he tweeted, I praise you 24-7, exclamation mark times five, and this is how you do me. So let me translate this for you. This football player offers praises to God in exchange to give him a better football career. 
this exchange, him trying to control his career through worshiping God, that is the definition of religion. Now, there's two things I want you to remember at this point. First, that over time, humanity got smarter. We found ways to control some of the chaos in the world by discovering that some of the things around us that we thought were chaotic are actually predictable. And we can do something about it because, you know, science. And the second thing that I want you to know is that we discovered that we can actually control people if we use fear in our favor. I mean, just listening to people who want your business, wants your trust, wants your vote, they usually paint this dark dystopian future and tells you that they are the ones that could keep you from heading in that direction. And one of the biggest problems that we see today in religion is that people use fear tactics to get the people to comply to that religious order. So let's take a look at this diagram here. This will help us understand what's going on here. In the beginning, there's fear. We're living in this chaotic world and we don't know what to do about it. And so we learn to worship the God that could control our outcomes. And so we start attending church and now we have a religion. But as humanity gets smarter, we learn that some of the things that we thought were uncontrollable is actually controllable. But to keep the system alive, religion needs to keep reminding its followers of the chaotic world they live in. And so it becomes a closed loop. Okay, now at this point, you must be thinking, cuts, cuts. You haven't explicitly used the word Christianity yet, but are you implying it? I mean, are you saying that our religion is dangerous? That we rely on fear to survive? Well, the answer is yes and no. You see, Christianity at its purest form was supposed to solve the problem of religion. You probably remember the story of the prodigal son, the parable that we studied in Luke chapter 15. Uh, I think we looked at it about a year ago. It's a story of two sons who are trying to get what they want from their dad. One does it through rebellion. He said, give me my share of the estate, and he took off. And the other son, he does it through obedience. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat. Now, if you remember the lesson from this story from last year, you'll note that the first son, the younger one, he's trying to get something from the father through rebellious acts. He's taking his stuff and taking off. The second son represents religion. He's the one that's saying, I'm doing everything you asked me to do. I'm obeying you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to do everything that you want me to do so I can get what I want. So Jesus is basically teaching that these two groups of people are not that different from each other. They both want something from the father. And in this parable, the father represents God. I mean, if you follow Jesus because you were promised an escape from a tough life, then that's not what Jesus taught. Or if you worship God so that your favorite candidate will win the next election, you're merely using God to achieve control of the things you can't control. Or if you're praying a hundred times a day so that you can win the favor of God so that the world will be more to your liking. That is definitely not what Jesus taught. That's called religion. At the end of this parable, Jesus reveals to us how to cure ourselves of religion. The Father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. He basically says, don't focus on what you could get from me. I mean, whatever I have, sure, you could have it. Just focus on being in a loving relationship with me. And that is what Jesus is offering. Not a religion, but a relationship. Love is the cure to religion. Love casts out fear, and love does not seek to control other people. You see, the Apostle John, he was with Jesus for three years. And he saw Jesus die on the cross and he saw him rise from the grave. But upon reflection, you know what he said that the number one purpose of Jesus being here on earth is? It's so that he can dwell with us. He came here to reveal who the Father is because that's what a healthy relationship requires. We need to get to know each other. And then in one of John's later writings, he says, you know what I think about God? I think God is love. 
So Christianity is meant to be a movement of love. But over the past 2,000 years, the church, well, we've had our good days and bad days. The bad days are the ones where the church acts on fear and control. And the good days are the ones where we act on love. Or another way of putting this is that the bad days are the ones where the church acted like a religion. And the good days are the ones where the church acted like Jesus. You see, because religion is based in fear and control, and it causes us to turn inward and becoming defensive towards outsiders or threatened by those who look different than us. And you've probably seen this happen in religious communities, and yes, even in churches, as they and we continue to build walls and walls and walls. But Jesus, he calls us to break down those walls. While religion creates an us-versus-them mentality, Jesus creates peace amongst enemies. I mean, there's a perfect example of this from the year 1219. See, the 13th century was marked by the Christian Crusades. Back then, the Christian Empire, which should be an oxymoron, which represented the West, clashed with the East, which was represented by the Muslim Empire. The Crusaders of the West were in battle with Sultan Malik al-Kamil of Egypt. In the heat of that battle, St. Francis of Assisi, you probably heard of him, defied the commander of the Crusader army and crossed the battlefield to speak with the Sultan. Now, before he crossed over, Francis was warned that the Sultan was a monster and that he enjoyed torturing and killing anybody that entered his camp. And so he crossed the battle lines only wearing a robe. He wasn't wearing any sandals and he had no weapons on him. Now, as you might have guessed, Francis was captured immediately by the Muslim soldiers and he was brought to the Sultan. Do you know what Francis's first words were to the Sultan? He said, may the Lord give you peace. He then introduced himself not as a representative of the Crusaders or the European king or even a representative of the Pope. He called himself an ambassador for Jesus. Then the Sultan invited Francis over because he was impressed by his bravery and he had him stay with him as his guest. And for days, they shared meals together and exchanged ideas. And as it turns out, the Sultan wasn't a monster. He was just a philosophical man with an open mind. He desired to know more about Jesus and Francis, he humbly expressed that he wanted to learn more from the Sultan. And they struck up this really, really interesting relationship. And as history goes, due to their spirit of hospitality and mutual respect, the two men created shalom during the war that lasted a century. You see, religion erects walls, creates an us versus them mentality, seeks to defend ourselves at all costs. The Jesus movement removes barriers. It creates an us for them mentality and brings healing through love. So you might be wondering, like, hey, how do we participate in that? Well, a good place to start is prayer. No, I'm not talking about the prayer that tells God what to do. That's, that's religion. No, there's a specific type of prayer that I want us to turn to. Here's a very important quote from a very famous Dutch priest. His name is Henry Nouwen. This is what he says. To pray is to listen to the one who calls you my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved child. To pray is to let that voice speak to the center of your being, to your guts, and let that voice resound in your whole being. And if you keep that in mind, you can deal with enormous amount of success as well as enormous amount of failure without losing your identity because your identity is that you are the beloved. Long before your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, your teachers, your church, or any people touched you in a loving as well as a wounding way, long before you were rejected by some person or praised by somebody else, that voice has been there always. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That love was there before you were born and will be there after you die. 
You see, the prayer that we all need to engage in is the kind of prayer where we sit in silence and let God reveal to you how much He loves you. And once God's love starts to heal us and, and change us and pushes out fear, we can truly participate in what Christianity truly was meant to be. No, no, not that religious version of Christianity that's founded in fear and control, but the relational Jesus-centric Christianity that is centered in letting go of control because we are already loved. So may you become an instrument of love and healing in this chaotic world. And may God's love continue to tear down the walls that religion has erected, and may He use you to bring peace in our midst. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.